Uh, so this is actually a continuation from last month. So you recall last month we, um, we spoke about uh, Eve's temptation. So today we're going to look at Adam. So these are the verses that follow afterwards. So let's do a reading of our study verses, starting in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so as, as we established um, last month that we don't really know the time or, or real, really the place of where these events happened, um, but we do know um, based on scripture what happened. And so, so picking up where we left off from last month, um, one of the lesson points from last month was that Satan puts doubts in our minds um, or in our heads about God and God's word. And that doubt leads to what some people like to call biblical revisionism, where we minimize God's promises in the Bible in favor of an interpretation that aligns closer to our own cravings. And when we start to change around God's word, it begins to sound unfair to us. And so that gives us in our minds license to go against it. So let's have a look at our first set of verses here. So. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And there's, there's um, indications just from, from uh, Genesis chapter three that Adam may not have ever encountered the serpent at all uh, or had an encounter with Satan masquerading uh, in another form. Um, all we know for sure is that he encounters his wife after she's eaten of the fruit, and so he gives into that temptation as well. And there, there's also no indication that, that Adam was, uh, some, some people may have suggested, well, Adam was just dumb. Um, more than likely not, because this is a guy who was actually told by God to name the animals. And anyone who can name all the animals that were created by God certainly is not a dumb person. So we, we have to work off of the assumption, too, that both Adam and Eve were full-grown adults with intelligence, with comprehension. Um, some non-Christian scholars have, have suggested that maybe Adam and Eve were children, and when they sinned, that's when they grew up. Um, and thus they made a mistake the way children do, and they were punished for it. But the reality is that this was not um, a mistake made by them. It was a choice. It was a choice to sin. It was a decision to be disobedient to God. And, and so this actually brings us to our first lesson point, which is that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned willingly. And the, the, the fact that Adam ate, that became his act of intentional disobedience to God. He made an actual decision. He wasn't tricked into making a decision 
by the serpent or by Satan. Uh, he made this decision willfully. And, and as a result of that decision, both Adam and Eve, they, they died that day. First they died spiritually, and then eventually they would die physically. And uh, Adam knew what he was doing. He was not misled like Eve was. Uh, he made a decision to rebel against God's command. And some would like to say that he listened to his wife instead of God, um, and that might be so, but regardless of that, he still made a choice. At any point, he could have said no. At any point, we can say no when it comes to temptation. The, the temptation may be overwhelming most of the time, and our thoughts get flooded with things that, that we're being tempted with, but there's always a point when we're tempted, um, at least one point where we can actually say no where we have the opportunity to say no. And when Adam saw Eve after she'd eaten of the fruit and the, fr the, and the fruit was being offered to him, he had the opportunity to say no, but he didn't. So usually the big question that comes up is, is why did he eat the fruit? And there, there's nothing here, uh, at least in scripture, that God gives us to indicate any type of internal, sh internal struggle in Adam, only because God left that intentionally vague. And scripture basically, if you want to paraphrase it, Eve took, Eve gave, and Adam ate, if you want to break it down into simple form. Um, and, and yet there's still no answer as to why, and it's anyone's guess, but we'll, we'll look at two possibilities. The first is that Adam wanted what Eve had. When he realized that she had gained this knowledge of, of the difference between good and evil, and it had changed her, he wanted that too. He wanted to have that knowledge and that perceived power. And, and perhaps with him, there was uh, a type of jealousy or a type of envy, covetousness, which is what she displayed when she was looking at the tree. Um, she displayed that desire for the fruit. And, and Adam developed a desire for something else that someone had, that knowledge. And just like Eve, he ate the fruit and thinking that there would be no consequences, and as one commentator writes, um, everything was upside down. Eve followed the snake, Adam followed Eve, and no one followed God. That's one possibility. The other possibility is something different. And we've all heard theories, and usually from someone who, we've, who we're not familiar with, and we usually just, we discount it. But when you start to do a little research and you see that other folks start to mention this theory, then, then maybe there, it's something to consider as well. And that possibility has to do with love. With Adam loving Eve so much that he didn't want to go on without her, he saw how eating the fruit had changed her. He saw um, how eating the fruit had basically separated her from God. He saw, and, and her temptation and her sin, because of that, he knows that she's going to die because of what she did. And now Adam has to go on without her. And so motivated by love for her and an unwillingness to be alone, Adam makes a decision to join her in sin. Which actually brings us to our second lesson point. Love that is not directed at God can be sinful. So can be sinful, not is sinful. And it, it depends where your love is directed at. In, in Adam's case, he loved Eve. And this was someone who God gave him as a companion, as, as a helpmate. She was, she was a gift to, to Adam. And God created Eve because without her, Adam would have no one for love, would have no one for comfort. And 
he wouldn't have had someone to share his life with, at least not someone like him, uh, not another human being. So Adam was complete without, uh, incomplete without Eve. And, and it's at this crucial point after she's eaten of the fruit that he has to decide where his love lies. Does he love Yahweh God or does he love Eve? Is he willing to obey God and live life without her or will he choose her over God? And his love for Eve in itself is, was not sin sinful. Those of you who are married, you, you love your spouse, you love your children, um, you love your family, you love the people that you worship with here in church. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong is when that love leads to disobedience to God's command. Adam's love was directed at Eve, and so he chose to share her fate. And so this is what happens. Oh, what happens is a malfunction. No. <laughs> then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. So when it says that, that their, their eyes were open, this, this wasn't their physical eyes. We know that because God gave them both physical eyes to see. Uh, so the understanding here is that their hearts and their minds were open to what they had done. Their conscience had kicked in. And anyone who has rational thoughts knows that when they've made a mistake, you know, your, your eyes pop open, your, your mouth probably drops open as well, and you suddenly realize, I made a mistake. The eyes were opened. And before they sinned, Adam and Eve were perfect. They were good. God said so himself. They were righteous. And by righteous, we mean that they were innocent. And because of God and what he had provided them, they had comfort in the garden, they had security in the garden, and they had peace. And Adam was made in the image of God. And, and our understanding of now of being made in the image of God isn't that we look like him physically because God the Father is spirit. To be in the image of God means that we bear his qualities. We bear his goodness. We reflect his righteousness. We reflect his love. All of these qualities Adam uh, received from God and because Eve was created from Adam, she had those qualities too. And now that they've eaten the fruit, they've lost all of that. They're, they're no longer image bearers of God. They're, they're no longer good. They're no longer perfect. And their innocence is gone and instead replaced by guilt. And whatever security they had um, regarding their life and their safety in the garden is now gone. And they are clearly not at peace anymore. And they were stripped bare of that clothing of innocence and protection that they had from God. They were now exposed. And this is, this is a spiritual nakedness. The, uh, up until this point, they only knew what good was. But now they know what evil is. They actually committed evil against God. And this is what they do about it. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So this is the first time in human history that any, anyone had experienced shame and experienced guilt. And when we're ashamed, we try to cover up our sin like they did. We, we try to make up for our spiritual nakedness. We, we don't want anyone to know about it. We, we try to cover it up. We try to bury it. We try to go hide it under a bed, hide it in a closet or whatever hiding places we have that they think no one will be able to find it. Or we just, we just cover it up with something thinking that no one will ever, will ever find out what we did. So they, they lost God's covering so they try to make up their own by covering themselves. They thought that they were capable of covering up their own shame and their own guilt. 
and their own sin. And genuine shame over sin is, is a healthy thing. Yeah, yes, we, we do feel bad, uh, and it's a very unpleasant thing to go through, shame. But when you no longer feel shame, then, then you really should start to worry about yourself because the absence of shame over sinning means that you probably don't have a conscience anymore, at least when it comes to breaking God's laws. When your heart becomes so hard with so much pride and so much arrogance that you think there are no, you start to think that there are no consequences or that God's laws don't apply to you. And then you'll do whatever you want to whoever you want and you'll do whatever you want and have no shame or no guilt about it. And the, the late um, minister Warren Wearsby quoted from, uh, in one of his commentaries, he quoted from an unnamed Native American Christian who compared his conscience to an arrowhead in his heart. And he said, if I do wrong, the arrowhead turns and hurts me until I make it right. But if I keep on doing wrong, the arrowhead keeps turning and wears down the points so that it doesn't hurt anymore. So when sin no longer hurts anymore, or when the shame no longer hurts anymore, then we're pretty much free to move on to other sins, and suddenly the list of sins will continue to grow, and we'll pay no mind because there's no more shame and it doesn't hurt anymore. So another question that comes up is why the loincloths and why? why fig leaves. And, and, and most interpreters and scholars point to the fact that this implies a hastiness and a desperation in trying to cover themselves up, uh, which, is, which is what happens when some people try to cover up their sin. They're in a rush. They're like, oh my God, I've, I've, I've got to go hide this. What can I do? And they just start to improvise things. That's how that the fig leaves and the loincloths are viewed because, of the, viewed because of the hastiness. And this actually brings us to our third lesson point. Adam and Eve's nakedness was a physical representation of a spiritual reality. So whatever innocence and whatever peace um, they had was shattered by what they've done. And their lives are now flipped upside down and, and they've suddenly realized just how exposed they are and how vulnerable they are. That they've, they've moved themselves outside of God's protection and provision because they've willingly disobeyed and distanced themselves from him. And it's a scary place to be, especially when you realize that sin has consequences far beyond just themselves. And Paul reminds us in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12, that therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because when Adam sinned, his decision affected the entire human race. And that took us out from under God's provision and placed us under God's wrath. And that's a spiritual reality. Adam's decision stripped away God's covering from all of mankind. And instead, the human race is now covered in sin. And we, we all have Adam's sinful DNA. The flood occurred in Genesis 6 and wiped out most of humanity. But Noah was a direct descendant of Adam. And even though he was righteous, he was still a descendant and so bears the sin that Adam passed on, as do we. And there, there's no escaping it. One, one man's decision, whether it was for the, the lust of, of the knowledge of good and evil or whether it was because he loved his wife, Adam's decision took us all down. And not only did he pass his sin on to us, but he also passed on a fear of the consequences. 
Then they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God in the midst of the trees of the garden. So they hear the sound of God walking. And th so this means that they know what that sound, what that sounds like, God walking through the garden, which means God walking through the garden was a common occurrence for them. This means that God fellowshiped with them in person, face to face. He fellowshiped with Adam and Eve. And fellowship with God is one of the main reasons why he created us in the first place. He, he wants to have a relationship with all of us. He wants to have a relationship with his creation. And it, it's hard for us to understand um, that Adam and Eve actually met with God, but they did. In whatever form he decided to take, he fellowshiped with them personally in the Garden of Eden. And he comes in the cool of the day. So he, he didn't just show up when it was the hottest point of the day. He didn't show up at night. He, he showed up during the more pleasant time of the day, uh, like a friend coming up your, your driveway to visit with you in the late afternoon. And God also shows up, but he doesn't show up quickly. They, they heard his approach, so he didn't pop up and surprise them. He approached so that they knew he was coming, so that his appearance wouldn't have been a surprise to them. And he didn't just suddenly appear in their presence and startle them, but because Adam and Eve hear God approaching, they run and they hide. And this brings us to our fourth lesson point. When we sin, we run and we hide from God. And we still run from God to this day, and, and maybe not physically, but we do it in other ways. We Maybe because we're ashamed, we intentionally stay away from, from church, or we intentionally don't want to read or study our Bibles, or we intentionally, when the Holy Spirit tries to convict us of sin that we've, the sin that we've done, we, we ignore him and we, because we don't want to face him. When the reality is that every single person since God placed Adam in the garden will have to face God eventually. And what will your reaction be when you hear the sound of God walking through your own garden that you're in? When you have to give an account for what you've done that day? Are you going to run and hide? And you, we know that we can't run physically from God because God is everywhere, but you can run and hide from him spiritually. When you sin, are you going to push him away or are you, are you going to try to bar the doors of your mind when you hear him approaching? Because the more we decide to run, we know the more miserable we're going to be. The, the more you don't want to deal with a problem, the more it's going, to, it's going to be a bigger problem and it's going to nag at you. And sin is, a downhill, is just a downhill slope. It feels good going down, but it's really hard to get back up that hill the further and further down you go and maybe you'll find yourself in a place where you really don't want to be. And so Yahweh God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So this is not a question of where are you physically because God knows all and sees all, but it's a question of where are you spiritually? And we know that, when we know what the answer is, we know that Adam and Eve are both spiritually separated from God. And, and God does this to give Adam a chance to come out of hiding so that he can answer for what he's done. And this actually brings us to the first question uh, we should ask ourselves. Where are you spiritually right now? 
are you hiding from God right now? Are you hiding from something? Or are you hiding something from God right now? Whether it's a feeling of rejection or it's a feeling of inadequacy or whether you've done something that you shouldn't have. Are you hiding that thing from God and are you hiding from God right now? When God asks, where are you? It's not to shame us or to ridicule us, but to give us a chance to honestly look at ourselves and to confess our sin. When God asks, where are you? It's not like someone who's angry and is looking for us to give us a beating. When God asks this question, where are you? This is a question from a broken-hearted father towards a child who's run away. It's those times in our lives when we've run away from God, whether intentional or accidental, that God is asking us, where are you? God is seeking after us when he asks that question. He's seeking after all of us when he asks that question. And the fact that God is asking this question is also an act of grace. He could have just showed up and he could have turned both Adam and Eve into ash right away. Poof. Just like that. A pile of ashes. Uh, so not only is God seeking after Adam and Eve, he's also extending his grace towards Adam and Eve. And God will eventually call all of us to step forward and give an account for our lives, whether it's this afternoon or whether it's several years from now. So this call is meant to bring conviction into our hearts and how we respond will determine what happens next. And so Adam, followed by Eve, steps forward to answer God's question, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. So what you can see here is that Adam actually doesn't answer God's question, where are you? Instead, Adam is, is telling God how he feels, in which case he feels afraid. And, and that's the only thing he confesses to is that he feels afraid. And, and so what we see here is that Adam is self-focused and more concerned about how he feels than how, than how he sinned against God. And how many of us have, have heard these words from someone who's hurt us or who we've had to rebuke for hurting someone else? Well, you don't, you don't know me. I'm not, I'm not like that. Um, that's not really who I am. Uh, you don't know what I've had to deal with in my life. And these are the words of a self-focused person who wants you to turn your attention to their feelings instead of what they did. And this is a very dangerous place to be. The, the self-focused person, no matter what they say with their mouths, doesn't care about God, nor does a self-focused person care about others. A self-focused person only cares about how they feel. And when people start making excuses like that, it shows that they aren't aware of, or, or worse, they, they live in denial about their sins. And they don't want to confess and repent of their sins. They make excuses. And making excuses is not confession. Making excuses covers up the shame of sin and tries to transfer that shame to someone else. And this brings us to our second question. Are you no longer ashamed of your sin? More people in this modern age that we're living in worry more about getting caught than they do about doing what's right. Instead of stepping forward and confessing, Adam just gives God an excuse. I was naked. 
um, yeah, I, I didn't want to face you because Yahweh God, because I, I, I don't have any clothes on and, and I'm, I'm afraid of you seeing me like this. Well, what, was that any different from before he sinned? He didn't have any clothes on before he sinned. So that, not a good excuse to give God. And, and if a person is more worried about getting caught than they are doing what's right, then there's, where is their moral compass? If a person is not ashamed of their sin, then where is their moral compass? If a person refuses to confess their sin and reconcile and instead makes excuses, then where is their moral compass? And these, these words may actually be an indication that a person is spiritually dead. That this is the same spiritually dead mentality that will justify a person's actions. They, they may say something like, well, I know God said that I can't do these things, but you know, God also gave me all of these passions and all of these feelings and, and I'm going to act on these feelings because God gave them to me while totally ignoring the fact that God forbids certain passions. It forbids us from doing those passions. As such a person like this may look like a believer on the outside, but they are spiritually dead on the inside. And when faced with questions like, like Adam was, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of a tree which I command you not to eat? Adam once again responds, and he responds in the wrong way. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Uh, and, and we read here that he blames his wife, or at least that's what it sounds like when we look at it. Um, but Adam is actually blaming God. He says, the woman who you, who you gave me. The emphasis on this sentence is actually you. Adam is casting blame on God. And, and Martin Luther actually commented on this set of verses that people will deny their guilt by transferring the guilt to their circumstances. And so Adam is saying, this is your fault, God. I was alone and I went to sleep and suddenly I woke up and I had a wife. This is, this, is, this is something that you did to me. If you hadn't created her, then, then there wouldn't have been a problem. And I, I wouldn't have disobeyed you. So this is, this is your fault, God. This isn't my fault. And, and the late James Boyce calls this confession and avoidance. Because according to Boyce, it admits the facts of sin but denies personal guilt on the basis of circumstances. When we attempt to deny our guilt by shifting the blame to our circumstances, we are ultimately blaming one of two people, God or the devil. And this leads to our third question. Do you accept responsibility for your sin? And this is the way sin is. We, we blame others or we blame our environment or we think that we're going to try to lessen the guilt of our sin or lessen the guilt of our sin and hope to escape the penalty of sin. And we'll readily lay the blame for our sin at the feet of others or our neighbors or blame the government or blame the economy or blame, blame the neighborhood that you grew up in and we'll even be so bold as to blame God himself. And we can't obviously blame God for our own failures. Um, and yet we try. Some people do. Oh, I didn't make the team this season, so it's, it's your fault, God. Or we blame God for our shortcomings. I didn't get that promotion I wanted, and it's, it's, it's your fault, God. You could have given, me, given it to me at any time. Or we blame God when possible relationships don't, don't work out. It's like, why did that person 
not like me. Why did they reject me? It's your fault, God. You could just, you know, snap your fingers and they'll like fall in love with me. We like to blame God for those things when we blame God as, his, if, as if he's the one who's tempted us in the first place. And that's not in God's character. God doesn't tempt. He gives us a choice and he leaves us to make a decision um, to either listen to him and to obey him or to listen to our own selfish desires or to obey and to obey ourselves. And Adam set the precedent for blaming someone else for his own sin. He blamed God and Eve in turn learned from his example and blamed the devil. So Eve may have set the example of giving in to temptation, but Adam set the example of blatant disobedience and lack of personal responsibility and a refusal to repent. So instead of pointing an accusing finger at God and indirectly blaming his wife, Adam should have just simply said, I'm sorry, I failed you. I loved her more than I loved you. I love the knowledge that she gained more than I loved you. I love myself more than I loved you. Which leads us to our final question. Who is your love pointed at today? If your love is pointed at yourself or another person or another hobby or, or some type of material possession, then that could be sin, could. When your love is pointed at God, then the natural outgrowth of that love is a love for family, is a love for friends, is a love for community and a love for your church and a love for God's people. Because when you point your love towards God, you let him influence you and teach you and fellowship with you. And then you, can, you begin to take on his qualities and you begin to be, to be image bearers of God. You begin to reflect all of those qualities of God. Our God is a, a righteous and a holy God. There are no other gods like him. And he enacts his judgment and he extends his grace. And that grace was expressed most powerfully as John led us through communion on the cross of Calvary. Adam failed and yet God still wanted to fellowship with him. And if, if Adam would have only confessed and repented, then that relationship could have been restored. And God loves us so much that because of what Adam did, because Adam didn't repent, that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us on a cross, to atone for our sins, to redeem us, to pay the penalty of sin that Adam passed on to us. And the, the late pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this was during World War II, said, come out of your hiding place from your self-reproach, your covering, your secrecy, your self-torment from your vain remorse. So we're, we're all going to go into hiding from God at certain points in our lives. And if we're not hiding now, then we will in the future because we're going to do something um, that will bring shame onto us. And if you're hiding today from God, then know that his grace is all sufficient, that his grace is sufficient for you just as it would have been sufficient for Adam. And it's time to come out of that hiding. And, and the only thing you'll lose coming out of that hiding is pride. So when you hear God ask, where are you? There's nothing to be afraid of. Especially nothing to be afraid of if you're honest with him about where you are spiritually. And if you confess to him your sins. And if you promise to turn away from those sins, to repent of those sins. Because when you confess and you repent, 
He will extend his grace to you as a loving father. He'll extend his grace to you as a risen savior. And he'll extend his grace to you as a wonderful counselor through the power of the Holy Spirit.